Don't touch that dial. Welcome back to the Behind the Bits podcast. I'm still Scott Curtis, and I'm glad you came back for a second episode. My guest on the show today is Stuart Huff. I've seen Stuart a couple times, and he's definitely a unique performer. I guess I'd call him a comic philosopher or maybe a philosopher comic. He's definitely become a favorite of mine since the first time I saw him. Uh, I think it's uh, absolutely perfect that Stuart followed Tom Dreesen because they're about as different as two comics can be. they got different points of view, different outlooks, and way different acts. But I love them both, and that's really what I want to, want to accomplish with this podcast, give you all the points of view and let you take away what's valuable to you. Anyway, just about every comic that I've talk to that knows Stuart Huff tells me he's the most generous and supportive comic they've ever met. He was certainly generous with the interview, uh, having him open up and be honest about his comic and his outlook made for a, just a great interview. If you want to check out another podcast, Stuart has one called Stuart Huff's Obsessive Curiosities Podcast. Stuart is into cool, old, weird stuff, and he, he makes he, he talks about them on this podcast. It's it's great. It's a great podcast. I think you'll like it. I'm into antiques and stuff like that a little bit because my grandma was into it, but uh, his his uh, podcast is super cool. And this weekend, if you're within four hours of Bloomington, Indiana, I suggest you gas up the car because Stuart's going to be performing at the Comedy Attic. It's one of his favorite venues, and he's he just loves it there, so he always puts on a great show there. He has a show on Thursday the 9th at 8 p.m. and shows on Friday and Saturday at 8 and 10.30 p.m. It's worth the drive and the ticket to go see him. As I said in the first podcast, uh, if you if you like this podcast please uh, give me a rating on whatever platform you listen to uh, google podcast itunes whatever whatever they call all these podcast things now uh, if you'd give me a good rating that always helps me get new listeners share it up you can follow me on facebook at behind the bits podcast and you can follow me on twitter at the btb pc and you can follow me on Instagram at Behind the Bits Podcast. As I said, those are the only three social media avenues that I use because I'm old and that's all I can do. Maybe I'll do more. You can suggest stuff. If you want to um, get a hold of me, if you think you'd uh, be a good guest or you know somebody who would be a good guest, you can email me at scott at the btbpc.com. That's scott at the btbpc.com. Shoot me an email or you can send me a message on the Facebook page as well. I'd love to hear from you. If you've got uh, comments or you like the podcast, you hate the podcast, whatever, I'd love to hear from you. So uh, shoot me an email or a message and uh, let me know what you think. Without further ado, here is Stuart Huff. Hey, everybody. Welcome to the Behind the Bits podcast. This is Scott Curtis coming at you for our second episode. For this episode, I've got one of my favorites, Stuart Huff. Thanks for being on the show, Stuart. Yeah, thanks for having me. I uh, I like the idea of, uh, I don't know, you you sent me a message and, and asked and told me the idea of this thing, and it, it sounds interesting to me. I, I, I get all nerdy about this stuff. Yeah, and, and that's kind of what I am, is kind of a nerd. Uh, I've been fortunate that uh, you play my uh, hometown club, The Drop, in South Bend quite a bit. And, uh, I've, I've gotten to see you twice and I just think it's really cool that when you do the drop that you're working out new material, I just like to hear it first there. And I just think that's one of the coolest things. It's almost like a, uh, headliner, uh, doing an open mic and it's really neat what you do. <laughs> well, I don't, uh, well, I appreciate that, but I don't, I didn't like pick the drop. Uh, to be my place to work out new material, but it does. You're you're right. It's it's that's the way it's kind of fallen. The last I think two or three times I've been there, which I think the last time I was there, I actually felt kind of guilty about it. I thought, you know, I should really come here when something is just complete. Uh, I actually, you know? Yeah, I actually um, I, I like I like the last one. So <laughs> it was. <laughs> I, I, 
I, I I thought it was good. Um, and and the time before that, when I saw you, the uh, the bit about uh, urinating on the Walmart headquarters, I I don't know if you kept that or not, but I love that one. No, that one didn't make it. Oh, um, no. <laughs> yeah, that one didn't make it. I, I had forgotten about it actually until you just brought it up. <laughs> yeah. Well, that yeah. that that one hit me. I I go with my wife, and she loved that one too. But uh, you know. Um, I've, you know, I've been doing this for about five years and there's, there's stuff that I've completely, uh, eliminated from my act and people ask me why I don't do it anymore, but, uh, it's, it's, it's gotta have broad appeal. I know that. Mm, I don't know if you want to get into discussing this yet, but yeah, I, I don't think of it that way okay. anymore, I guess. Yeah. I'm, I don't know. I, this is the way I think about it is, uh, like the last few years in South Bend, I, there, uh, how do I explain it? Like, there's something I want to say. Right. It's not. It's not funny. It's, uh, you know, it's a story I want to tell, or 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 something I want to prove to myself. Mm-hmm. You know, whatever it is. Um, right now, and I think this was the show I did in South Bend. It's changed a tremendous amount since you've seen it. But right now, I'm doing a show about the Constitution, uh, the writing of it, um, when the founders wrote the Constitution, the Bill of Rights, and. Um, and a lot about what I'm calling academic hillbillies. Yes. About this idea that, of that, combining those worlds. Right. That was a fantastic bit, by the way. Yeah. That And so so when I pulled into South Bend, that's, I don't really know what I want. I know what I want to say. I know what, I, what I'm interested in. I have no idea how I'm going to say it, as in what jokes I'm going to end up doing. Right. You know, that stuff changes. So like the Walmart, whatever that, uh, that, that that thing I did about Walmart, urinating on Walmart, that's actually something I did, uh, mm-hmm. the urinating on the Walmart headquarters. Um, I, I don't remember how it fit in to whatever show I was doing, but obviously it didn't fit well. It was clumsy because <laughs> yeah. it ended up not making it. Uh-huh. You know? When I was younger, I would, when I was younger, I would think, and, and when I say younger or older, what I mean is in like in terms of comedy, right? Like when I when I'd been doing it a few years, you know, whatever, um, I would think, what's funny? What isn't funny? And oh my gosh, that's not funny! And the, and you know, this joke isn't working, and that one is. And I just, my entire thought is different now. I don't think at all. Mm-hmm. When you get these ideas, and and everybody has to know the, you know, you have. Um, a, a particular point of view and your 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 comedy is really I, I guess I would explain it you're trying to help uh, humanity from uh, imploding on itself and <laughs> and uh, I, that's my that, that's my that's my point of view I, and it seems like that's what you want to get across and you're you're very sweet you're very nice about saying people are stupid and they shouldn't be thinking like the, they are and I, I I really like how you can do that and um, and and put 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 that into a bit that, I guess if people are really looking at themselves and they do think some of the things that you're talking about, like bigotry and, um, you know, overt Christianity and stuff like that, that they can actually look at themselves and laugh rather than getting pissed off. Yeah. I think that that took me a long time to learn. I think it takes anybody a long time to learn that is, you know, uh, when you walk up on stage, when I walk up on stage, when, Roseanne Barr walked up on stage. Every, when a human being walks up on stage, the audience judges them. Right. Uh, that's just, there's nothing you can do about it. You can't change that fact. It, you, can, you can say, well, it's not right that they judge me. doesn't matter if it's right or wrong. They do. So you can ignore it. You can completely ignore the fact that they're judging you, or you can use it to your advantage. And so someone like, you know, uh, Stanhope, Doug Stanhope, uh, uh-huh. someone like that, or Sam Kennison, or someone; those people had a have or had a very aggressive delivery style, right? Um, because the audience sees that person as that type of person. Mm-hmm. You know, like if Johnny Carson just all of a sudden went off, <laughs> just, <laughs> just a picture in your head, like Johnny Carson just cussing and screaming and yelling. It would look so weird it, it, because that's not the image you have of that man. Right. 
Um, and it, and and when you walk up on stage, when when I walk up on stage, audiences pigeonhole you. They put you in a box. Mm-hmm. Here's here's what we expect of you. Um, now you can you can widen that box just a little, but not much. Right. If I walk if I walk up on stage, which I have done before, and yelled and screamed, and because I'm so angry mm-hmm. and I'm so frustrated and I'm just mad and I'm then it's not funny. Audiences don't laugh. That that's not the way they see me. Um, they don't want me to, you know, express my myself in that way. Right. And and you know what? They're right. I mean, they're that's the, the the weird part about it is it takes a whole lot to get me real angry, mm-hmm. right? like screaming, yelling, punching, angry. Um, I'm generally depressed all the time. <laughs> you know, I understand. Yeah, but I'm not angry. I mean, I'm when when something happens, when human beings do something, it generally makes me sad, n- not angry. Mm. And I think, and I think that's audiences. I think they've judged me correctly because there. I have a line that I if I cross it, there's a line of anger. So if I if I start screaming on stage, they'll shut down. Mm-hmm. Uh, and you know it happens once or twice a year. I'll get so mad that I do scream and yell on stage, and and I just know that okay, well I crossed the line, so I'm, they're not coming back this show. <laughs> they're not going to laugh anymore this show. Yeah, cross. You know, and other people, you know, like I said, like Sam Kennison or you know something like that. That's if Sam Kennison actually started talking about something like lovingly, and then that would be like, what are you doing? Right. No, we don't expect that from you. That's not who you really are. Right. You know? So um, I think that's the reason is is I I like talking about what interests me on stage, whether mm-hmm. it's, you know, whatever it is. I like talking about what I'm currently interested in, what's fascinating me. And most of that, most of the time that involves human nature, which is I'm fascinated. Right. In order to express it, if I went up on stage and said, I think global warming is not a bad thing. I hope it kills all human beings. Mm-hmm. Um, I don't think that we're that good of a monkey, quite frankly. Yeah, <laughs> and uh, and I don't think we. Sh- I think we've had our shot, and I think we need to move on and let someone else, and let maybe possums have a shot. Right. Um, that, by the way, that is truly what I believe. Now, if I go up and express that belief through yelling and screaming about these dumb, you know, then it's not going to work. But if I formulate an argument and lay out a point with punchlines and, and philosophically explain without being too mean, mm-hmm. you know, then people will actually come up to me and say, I don't know, I'd never really thought about it that way, but you're right. I mean, you know, I, I mean, I can actually get through to people in that in those terms. Mm-hmm. You know what I'm saying? By the way, do you edit this? Because I just talked way too long. Oh, yeah, <laughs> I, I, I do, but I like everything you said, so I, I wouldn't worry about it. Um. Getting to the the getting through to people, you seem like the type of person that when you do your act, that you do get through to people, maybe not every show, but, and maybe only one or two per show. Has anybody ever come up to you and said, you know, I was an asshole and you helped me be less of an asshole? I don't know if anybody's ever said that exact thing, but I've, um, yeah, I mean, I get once a month. Probably that's on an average mm-hmm. a month. I'll get, you know, I'll get someone that comes up after the show or sends me a message uh, two days after the show or something that clearly what I, I said something that really resonated with them and they want to talk. They want to say, you know, whatever it is. I, you know, but I mean, I've had people come up to me and say, you know, uh, I, I like like really poignant stuff. Mm-hmm. Like what you said about your sister really means something to me and. You know, and then they'll start crying, and then we'll sit down and talk for a long time. Right. You know, about life. And I've also just had people come up and just say, I don't know. I don't like you. I don't, you know, <laughs> but, but you know what? I don't know. I mean, you you said a couple of things. That thing you said about guns is interesting. I mean, I'm not saying uh-huh. it's true. But it's, in, you know, it's, it's, I never thought about it. Right. Got to, you know what I mean? So it's the whole span. About once a month, maybe, on average. Someone will say something where that it's it's not just them walking past me going good show good show right you know it's, yeah they listen you know yeah and I think Scott I don't know if I'm right about this but I feel um, confused like in real life I'm mm-hmm. frustrated I'm depressed and confused 
I don't feel right. I don't feel correct. I don't feel like I have the answers. Mm-hmm. I feel like I have a ton of questions. And, um, and I definitely think we as a species could be doing better than this. This is pathetic. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think maybe, maybe if I'm lucky, that comes across in what I'm doing on stage is I, I don't, I really honestly don't think I have a lot of answers, but I have a ton of questions. Mm-hmm. And so maybe um, people feel like I'm not threatening because I'm not telling, I'm not telling them they're wrong. I'm, I'm just simply saying, Hey, have you thought about it this way? Mm-hmm. You know, oh, and- I don't know. And that's exactly the way you have come off to me. The the you you have a lot of questions, and uh, you you see things through your eyes as just being wrong. And and I think it leaves the audience up to answering the questions for themselves and and doing doing what they need to do after the show. Yeah, it could be. Yeah. I mean, I kind of, at this point, I kind of do it for myself, really. I mean, comedy is, is like, I hope they like it, but if they don't, it doesn't, I'm fine with that. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So um, that's a good segue. What uh, what got you started into doing comedy? I wish I had, like, some kind of real cool story, you uh-huh. know? But uh, I was, I think the, uh, the honest answer is, uh, I think college was probably one of the biggest disappointments in my life. I really... I think deep down in my immature um, naivete, I, I really thought college was going to be the place where children turned into adults, uh-huh. you know, and then you realize that no, m- most of the human beings on the planet are not adults. <laughs> There's like a yeah. hundred adults in the world. Yeah. <laughs> you know, the rest are just children. Uh-huh. And, and that and that was disappointing to me. I I think it was high school the sequel, uh-huh. and yeah. Um, so I dropped out. You know, I threw a little fit. I threw a little hissy fit, and uh, I dropped out. And you're not gonna, you know, make me act like you kind of childish fit. And uh, I dropped out. And I wanted deep down secretly, I wanted to be a writer. I wasn't telling anybody that. Mm-hmm. I, I didn't even tell girlfriends or anybody. I told no one. So. And, but I, I was writing stories secretly and not, and not showing them to anybody and throwing them in the garbage. And then uh, one day I dropped out of college. I was working at a movie theater, um, you know, wondering what am I going to do with my life. And then one day I just decided I'm going to be a comedian. And I went up on stage. Like the first time I went into a comedy club was to go on stage. Mm-hmm. I had never seen a comedy show. Wow. Um, I, and it, looking back on it, it's just the stupidest thing in the world. It was a huge mistake and, um, it still is. It, yeah. it's a, I, I'm not a comedian and, and it's uh, but what's interesting is if you are not a plumber and, but yet you end up being a plumber, then you, you're an interesting plumber. Yeah. You see what I'm saying? Yeah. I'm not a comedian. I don't think like a comedian. I don't act like a comedian. I, I'm I've barely been able to learn a few skills about joke writing, but like, you know, I've got friends that are so good at just writing jokes and and I struggle Mm -hmm. with writing jokes. Premises, I can give you hours of premises. Right. Hours. That's a, that's a writer. That's not a comedian. Mm -hmm. So anyway, um, I went up on stage and I told one of my stories that I thought was funny that I had never even told another human being that I wanted to be a writer. And I just went up there and I told one of my stories and the audience told me that is not funny. <laughs> yeah. it's, it's not even close. And, um, it was, I wanted to throw up and it was horrible. And I, you know, whatever weird reason, um, you know, I said, God, that was amazing. I, when can I do it again? Uh-huh. <laughs> I think I think people that go up on stage and continue to go up st- on stage are like heroin addicts. Yeah, you know, most people look at someone shooting a needle into their arm and think, "Ooh, how did they do that?" Mm-hmm. There's something about that particular personality that just that would shoot it anywhere on their body. You know what I mean? Right. And it is like a drug. I, I went up. I literally my entire body panicked. I wanted to vomit. I, my hands were shaking. Um, and I, and I did that too. Mm-hmm. I didn't do well. Yeah. You know what I mean? So I didn't even have like, 
I, are like, oh my gosh, I'm good at this. I should do it again. No, I, mm-hmm. I was bad at it. <laughs> and I was bad at it for a very long time. Right. You know? I, uh, I, mean, I, I can definitely uh, concur with that. My, my first uh, open mic was uh, pretty bad and it didn't get good for a while. And you, you never feel like it's good. Uh, and uh, you, when you do a set and people come up and say you did great, you're, you're just thinking about everything that was wrong with it. And, uh, it's, 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 uh, the curse of being a comic, I guess. Yeah. Here's now that you mentioned that, uh, here's, here's a piece of advice. I've, I've only got two pieces of advice, I think for, uh, maybe three for young comics. Mm-hmm. Okay. Um, number one is this is the number one, the most important thing for you to know as a young comic. Every single person, including me, that tells you what to do and what not to do is a liar. Yeah. <laughs> every one of them. Every piece of advice you get is wrong. Mm-hmm. Every single piece of it. That's the most important thing to know as a comedian. Right. Stand up comedy is such an individual thing. It's it's about you and who you are and what you are and what you think and what you don't think. And how someone else can tell you how to do it if they're just wrong because they're not you. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? I mean, even basic stuff, like people say, don't stare at the floor. Make eye contact with the crowd. That seems like a basic universal rule. And then Hedberg comes along, <laughs> yeah. never lifts his head up, yeah. you know? Mm-hmm. So anybody that tells you a rule is flat out wrong. Right. Now, that being said, here's some rules. Um, <laughs> yeah. Uh, I think most comedians, almost all of them, fall into. You could split. You could create groups out of anything, right? Mm-hmm. But if, if if we if we put if we put comedians into like arrogant uh, and um, you know self deprecating, right? Okay. So I know com- comics that go up and they literally they get off stage and they literally think I'm I'm the coolest person. I'm the greatest. I'm the best comedian. Mm-hmm. And I just saw their set. They're, they weren't the best comedian on stage. You uh-huh. know what I mean? Yeah. <laughs> like, like, I've never met an arrogant comic that was actually as good as they thought they were. I mean, there's a couple, apparently there's a couple famous people that are truly arrogant uh-huh. that are there, but I haven't met them. But anyway. <laughs> um, and then the other side of it, I'm bad. I'm so horrible. Uh, I, I suck. These are extreme, you know? They're extremes. Mm-hmm. What I've found for myself, and it might, like I said, it might not work for you or anybody else, but what I've found is if you can avoid those extremes, you're going to grow quicker. Uh, the quickest way to become better at comedy is to be objective. Mm-hmm. You pull yourself emotionally out of your body and say, okay, I just did a set of the drop in South Bend. Uh, how did it go? Now, if you say, I killed. I was the best. Well, then you're you're just wrong. Mm-hmm. You're wrong because Lenny Bruce has existed. He he existed. So you're not that. <laughs> yeah. You're just not. I mean, you know. So uh, uh, you know, or or if you say I was the worst comic ever at the drop. No, I seriously doubt it. I've seen some shows. That, I mean, uh-huh. you <laughs> yeah, seriously me doubt you for the. You know what I mean? So what did you do good? And what did you do bad? What should you work on? Where are your strengths? Where are your weaknesses? You know, these type of thoughts instead of I killed or I'm or I suck. What am I good at? What mm-hmm. am I bad at? What do I need to work harder at? You know, um, when you're watching a comic on stage and they and you don't like them, you just don't like them. Why don't you like them? What are they doing that's making you not like them? Right. Do you do, you do that? You know. The more objective you can be about yourself and what's going on while you're on stage, the quicker you're going to grow. So I learned a long time ago that I'm naturally, I think I'm a better writer than I am performer. So mm-hmm. I used to just stand at the microphone. Mm-hmm. Or just stand there and, and not in a cool way. I mean, not, <laughs> <laughs> you know, like not, not in some kind of Stephen Wright way. Like uh. it, it wasn't cool. It was just me just being boring. And, so I, I don't know. One day I figured that out that the, like I saw Carl LeBeau, uh, who I love Carl LeBeau, um, just incredible performer. I mean, the guy is just so gifted and I used to study him when we worked together. I would sit in the back and watch him 
how do I do that? Well, I'm not naturally gifted when it comes to performance. So I'll never reach Carl LeBeau's, LeBeau's level, you know? Mm-hmm. But can I pick up some tips? Can I get better at it than I am? Of course you can. You can get better at almost anything. So you have to recognize your weakness and then admit it. And then you can get better at that. And you also have to recognize your strengths, you know, and, mm-hmm. and be proud and be proud of those. Right. Things. You know, there's nothing wrong with saying, I'm good at this. Yeah. You know, I could get better at it, but I'm good at this. And I, and I need to lean on that, you know, or whatever. Yeah, that's, that's so true. And I, I personally, I have allowed myself to, to be a little bit more objective and then allow myself to, um, like something I do, but it's, it's, it's hard for some people. I know that. And, um, uh, I'm one of those that it's difficult for. Yeah. I mean, it's, you know, comics are, I have yet to meet one that was normal. Yeah. (laughs) You know, I mean, and, and how it manifests itself the insecurity, the need for attention, the weakness, all this, all this kind of craziness. It all, you know, Dice, Andrew Dice Clay and Stephen Wright have the same insecurity issue. Mm-hmm. It's just Dice Clay's manifests itself in a different way. Right. He's <laughs> begging for attention with leather jacket, leather gloves, and, you know, and, and Stephen Wright's begging for attention by uh, doing these soft, right. you know, think jokes. But, uh-huh. You know, but I just think that you could say, I think I've grown the quickest in my, when I look back at what I've done, I've grown the quickest when I've been able to say, um, let me study, let me study how bad I am at this and, and, and then look at someone that's good at it and how can I find that in myself right. instead of, if, if you're bad at something, what's wrong with that? There's nothing wrong with being bad at something. Right. You know, it doesn't mean that mama doesn't love you. It's, <laughs> you know what I mean? It's yeah. like, okay, we all have strengths and we all have weaknesses, yeah. you know? And, you know, but when I do get in that, in that mindset where I'm like, I'm the worst comedian, then I'm not growing. I'm just swallowing. Mm-hmm. You know? That, that, yeah, that, uh, that totally makes sense. Thinking about, uh, going from doing those mics, uh, how did you progress? How did you decide, Hey, I just want to do this and this is going to be my job. Um, there was really nothing. I mean, I didn't, I didn't have an option. I mean, I, (laughs) if, if I would have, if anybody would have popped up and offered me something that, that, you know, if a paleontologist assistant, Uh (laughs) I would have taken, I'd take it now. I would take that job in a heart. I would love to be a paleontologist. I don't even know if they have Uh it, but I would love to carry the tools. That's um, funny. That's exactly what my grandma wanted to do. She was an antique dealer, so it, uh, she oh, was she was wow. totally into uh, paleontology and anthropology and all that stuff. Sounds like we would get along. I have a house full of beautiful treasures. That's what I call them. Most people call it hoarding, but yeah. it's like. <laughs> and I love anthropology. I read anthropology books a lot, and I love paleontology and that and philosophy. Yeah, those are my. And, and realistically, Scott, that's, I should have stayed in school long enough to figure out that once you get past freshman, sophomore, then you can get into a college. The right college can offer you a, a, a space to really challenge yourself and, and, and be, you know what I'm saying? Right. I just was, I just thought it would happen my freshman year. And, and I was, you know, I was stupid. Anyway. Yeah. You know, it's funny. Both my kids just totally killed college. They were great at it and they're doing great now. But I think the most uh, mature decision I made in my life uh, was when I was 18 and I said I was too immature to go to college. So I just didn't even do the freshman part. <laughs> I, I skipped it oh, totally. Wow. Yeah. <laughs> See, that's a lot of insight to know that you're immature. Right? Uh, yeah. To know. Yeah. That's a. <laughs> That's a, almost an adult level insight into your own immaturity. <laughs> yeah, and, and, and that may be the last mature thought I had. But uh, anyway, it, it was good. We didn't waste any money on college for me, so that's good. That's awesome. <laughs> I bet you. Yeah, that's awesome. Um, to, to answer your question, I was I was run, I was running around uh, Atlanta. I here's how dumb I was, Scott. And I say what like it has like it's changed. Uh-huh. <laughs> um, here's how dumb I was, and and I, I look at you know in hindsight I can kind of deduce some things about myself back then, but I didn't know them. Do you know what I mean? Mm-hmm. Um, I decided one day I'm going to go up on stage and I'm going to tell the story, 
and I'm going to see if an audience laughs at it. And they did not. And then I got off stage and I thought, oh, my God, that was fantastic. And I immediately started to try to find out. There was no computers, or I didn't have a computer anyway. Um, I think Steve Jobs did, but I did yeah. not have a computer. This is in the 90s. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, I didn't own one. And <clears throat> so I started to try to figure out where are other clubs where I could go and, and tell this story and have it not work. <laughs> and so I did. I, I drove. I talked to my I was working in a movie theater and I talked to my boss and I said, I want to try to do this. I want to do some more can I have some days off, you know? And, uh, Oh, okay. So then I started driving around just telling this stupid story and, um, you know, so I would do different stuff and I never, first 50 times I was on stage, I didn't get a laugh. I mean, it was just uh-huh. horrific. It was to me, it was like hilarious that I was so bad. <laughs> um, and other comics who were horrible didn't talk to me. Like they, <laughs> I was, I was a reject from open mics, open micers. Yeah. <laughs> and um, so then I finally found that there was this club in Chattanooga where I could actually go up once a week. Instead, of, I was like, I would drive from like Georgia to Virginia. Wow. And do, um, you know, five minutes and then sleep in my car in the parking lot and then turn around and drive home. Mm-hmm. And so then I found out there was this club in Chattanooga, which was fairly close, that I could go up on a regular. So I started making that my home base. I quit the movie theater. I was living in my car, sleeping in my car. I did not have an apartment or a house or anything. And I had no job. And um, I would just go up in coffee houses. I started going in, up in Kmart. I'm sure you've heard that story. Yeah. And, yeah. So I start, I would literally, anywhere I could think of to go up, I went up. I mean, I you know, I would stand at picnic tables at rest stops and just do my act. And I don't, and I, I was running. It's what I was doing. Mm. I didn't, I didn't know it then, but I didn't, I didn't want to be part of the, you know, I didn't want to go back to college. I didn't want to end up in a cubicle. I didn't want to, I didn't want any, I didn't want any of that stuff. I wanted, I wanted life to be more interesting than I, than I was scared that it was going to be, you mm. know, and that's what I was doing. Honestly, I was just running and uh, running away. Um, but I didn't know it and I just kept doing this thing. But if you would have asked me back then, like, do you want to do this for a living? I would have said yes, but I, it wasn't a dream. Mm-hmm. It, it, I, I never, ever thought, wow, I would love to be a stand-up comedian for a living. <laughs> I knew what I didn't want to do. That's what I knew. Uh-huh. You know, and I just didn't want to do any of that stuff that, you know, like, People would say, "We well, just get your degree and then get a job, and you know, and with benefits and a five hundred one k." And I didn't want any of that, so I kept doing it until finally someone said to me, "Like uh, I run this show over here, I'll pay you twenty dollars." And then I got paid for the first time, and then the next thing you know, you you meet some other people, and it just the ball, it takes a long time to get the comedy ball rolling, mm-hmm. but once you get it rolling and kind of keep pushing at it, keep pushing, keep pushing, then over you know, over time, unless you get lucky and go viral or whatever, it takes a long time. I, I describe it like this. You walk into Best Buy, you apply for a job. If they say yes, you have a job. Mm. There you go. Yeah. It, you you want to be a comedian? Uh, go to the drop in South Bend and audition. If they say yes, okay, there's one week. So now you have to find 50 other clubs right. to say yes to you. It's you know, it's not like that. You need to find enough people that think you're good enough to pay you, that you can pay your bills. It, it takes a long time to get that ball rolled. Right. But I, I, so I just never stopped and I've been completely in debt. Um, and I've, yeah, I've had years that I've made good money and then there are years that I'm in debt. I, I rented a closet one time, you know, <laughs> I, uh, I couldn't afford a place and it was too cold to sleep in my car. I rented a, a guy's walk-in closet and I lived in his walk-in closet. That was my quote unquote apartment, uh-huh. you know, <laughs> um, you know, I just never stopped. I, it didn't matter. Man. I never stopped. You know, did you feel like it, it, it was dedication or desperation or it was just something that you had to do until, until it became something for you? I'm, I'm very happy that I have not, uh, clocked in, in 20, I guess the last job I had, I think was Papa John's delivering pizza. Mm. I think that's the last job I had. So, and that's been 26 years, something like that. So I haven't clocked in. I mean, I, I, but I'm always on the verge of it. I mean, I'm, I'm always real close to dead to like, okay, I can't do this anymore. Um, I'm constantly, I got a buddy. I, I call him a buddy. He knows my name. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> um, yeah. 
at the at my tiny post office, and I've I've come real close when we're chatting about football or whatever to uh, thinking like I it's right on the tip of my tongue to say, can I get an application? Uh huh. You know, but I so far I haven't said. It, <laughs> That's funny because I went as far as taking the uh, the postal exam or whatever that was. I think when I was uh, eighteen or nineteen, and uh, I also did the one for the army, and neither one of those uh, panned out for me. <laughs> kind of glad. Well, yeah, not bad. Not yeah. bad. Um, I like I like the fact that I haven't clocked in, and, and to, I don't want to sound like too much of a annoying lefty, but I also like the fact that I'm I'm not involved in the system. Kind of, you know, it is mm. it's, it's like living this kind of life. It's like going rogue. You mm. know, it's like it's like I'm off the grid, but not. You know, right. Uh, and I love the fact that I've never trended. Uh, <laughs> I, I don't ever want to be, I don't want to know what that itch is. Mm. I don't want to know what trending is. And I, <laughs> I, and I'd never, if anybody tries to brand me, I'm going to be, I'm going to run. I'm running. I'm, I was running from college back then. And now I'm running from trending now and branding. Uh-huh. <laughs> I don't want any of that shit near me. So not trending, you know, that, that, that's one thing, but, uh, you know, everybody I talk to, when I mention your name, you're like the, the comics comic, everybody says you're fantastic. How does it feel to be, have that much respect from, you know, your own peers? Um, I mean, it's very nice. You know, I, I, um, it's very nice. I have a lot of friends in comedy and a lot, there's a lot of good people and, there are very few that I don't like. Mm-hmm. You know, I mean, there's I've met maybe five, and and I'm I'm actually increasing that number a little bit because right now I can think of right off the right off the top of my head I can think of three comedians that I've met that I actively don't like. Uh-huh. I think they're bad human beings. Uh-huh. <laughs> so I'm gonna I'm gonna bump it up to five because I'm sure there's a couple of them I can't remember right now. Yeah, <laughs> you know, a tremendous amount of people comedians that I've met and worked with. And, I think comics are good people. It, it, we're flawed. And if you, you know, if you allow, you know, if two flawed people can look at each other and know that, yeah, we're both messed up, mm-hmm. you know, so please don't attack me, <laughs> <laughs> you know, yeah. and you can generally get along with people. I mean, I, I, I don't even judge, like, you know, when I see a young comic on stage and they're, I don't like what they're doing. So what, you know, I mean, it, I didn't like what I did for the first eight years of my career. Right. <laughs> so who am I to sit here and judge someone for, for you know what I mean? Mm-hmm. Maybe when I see a young comic that's, that's not, I don't like what they're doing. I don't particularly care for it. You know, Yeah. maybe tomorrow they'll figure it out. <laughs> you know, Maybe next year they'll be my favorite comedian that I've ever seen in my life. What do I know? Mm-hmm. You know, I sucked for a long time and now I actually like, what I say the majority of the time. So I've achieved that goal. Right. Um, what does it feel like to be respected? It, it feels great. Um, I also know my flaws. I know what I'm not good at and I'm trying to get better at those things. So when someone comes up to me and says, um, you know, that like someone says like, God, I, I hope one day to be able to do what you do. Then I say, it, you can pass me in a heartbeat, buddy. I mean, mm-hmm. you, if you, you know, I'm not that far ahead of you, you know, and that's the truth. So am I making sense? Do you, yeah, you know oh, what yeah. I mean? I know exactly what's wrong with me mm-hmm. and I know what I'm bad at. So nothing you tell me is going to make me forget them. Right. Do you know what I mean? Yeah. So, and also when people come up and they say, you're not a comedian, you suck. They're right. So I'm not mad about that either. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? And I like having friends. And I like having friends in the comedy business. I enjoy it. I think it's nice to have, you know, a, a legitimate bond with other people, with other humans that mm-hmm. you feel flawed together, you know, and you're, and you, you've both been stiffed by that same booker who, yeah. who's a jerk. Yeah. You know what I mean? <laughs> I like that. But when someone says something really off the charts, you know, like, you know, God hates Anne is the greatest comedy show I've ever heard. I know that's not true, uh-huh. but it's very, very nice of them to say that makes me feel good, mm-hmm. but I know it's not true. And there's nothing they can say to me that's going to make me not know that. You know what I mean? Right, right. And on the flip side, when someone says, you know, uh, and I had a woman, I think it was about a year ago, I got off the stage, she's so mad, she hated me so much. 
and she said, uh, I want my money back. Mm-hmm. And I said, oh, yeah? Oh, yeah? You think I owe you money? She goes, you owe me money. <laughs> I want my money back. So I, I said, all right, how much did you pay? It turns out she got it for free. She, <laughs> she paid nothing. And I was laughing. I said, you paid nothing. You want your money back? She goes, it was my time. My time is worth money. I want <laughs> like, hilarious. She can't hurt me because she's not wrong. She came to see a comedy show. Mm-hmm. She didn't come to think. And I made her think. And now she's mad about it. Right. You know? Yeah. Oh, I don't blame her. Is she? She's not wrong, but she is wrong. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. I'm not as bad as she thinks I am. Right. It's just different. It's it's not normal comedy. So, you know, and anything that's not normal, some humans get pissed off about. Mm-hmm. And you know, you know that that reaction uh, is because you made her think, and and even though she's mad, she's going to go home and think more. So, you you know, sometimes any reaction is a good reaction. Yeah, and you know, and I, this sounds really, really arrogant, but it, if I'm honest, the truth is I don't really care what anybody thinks at this point. I I want people to like my show very much. I want them to like my show. Mm. When they don't like my show, then it does not feel good. But I you, back, you know, when I was when I first started out, I was trying to write jokes that were funny, you mm. know, and I and and I would go up on stage and I would tell these jokes that that I would be thinking in my head, oh, I hope this one works. I hope this one works. I hope this one works. And when they did not work, I was miserable because I hate them. Mm-hmm. And now nobody in the room has liked these jokes. Right. You know what I mean? Like, I didn't even like them. And I wrote them for the audience. So we're all miserable. Mm-hmm. And then when I, when I stopped doing jokes that I didn't like, then I became a happier person, even when I failed. Because... At least one person in the room liked this crap. Yeah. <laughs> so, and I think, I've never been I think audiences bad. know when you are true to yourself, too. They, you know, they pick up on that. I think so. They, they, they know when they, yeah, I think they do. They might not respect it, you know, but I think they kind of know it. You mm-hmm. know? So, do you feel, I? this is one of the things I, I've talked about to a couple comics about, uh, do you feel like, you never feel like you've arrived, you never feel like you've achieved what you want to achieve, but do you feel like you've achieved some contentment in, in what you do and the business itself? Uh, yes. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, and I don't, I don't know, I think that's a very individual thing, too. Right. I don't know if anybody can tell another person how to do it. I think you have to figure it out yourself. Right. I will never would have guessed it, but I think looking back, what happened to me is um, I about ten years ago, maybe a little more, maybe a little more than ten, but I can't. I did one or two things. Yeah, you know, I think it was more like twelve, thirteen. Anyway, I did one or two things that I kind of got a little bit of notice, a little bit. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. Not much. And I read for some parts on television, some sitcoms, and. Somebody saw me in some festival and said, hey, you know, he did really, he was interesting. You know, let's get him to read for this sitcom thing or whatever. And I, and I had no acting experience whatsoever, but I did it. Mm-hmm. And, and and it went nowhere. Mm-hmm. And um, I didn't get anything. And I auditioned for all the big ones, you know, Letterman and all those people. And um, and I was told in no uncertain circumstances that um, they liked me very much, but my style doesn't fit television. Mm-hmm. Uh so change my style and they'll consider me put, putting me on, you know? Right. So I, the, the, um, I'm long winded today. Anyway, <laughs> uh, um, I had a choice to make. Do I want to try to please them? I don't think so. Because to be honest, I the tiny, tiny little taste that I had of the business being interested in me. Mm-hmm. I didn't want to it. Yeah. I mean, I would love to have their money, mm-hmm. but I didn't. I didn't enjoy the the little tiny things that I did that it were involved in quote unquote show business. Right. So now, do I want to uh, change what I'm good at? And that's ultimately what you're saying is I'm doing what I'm the best at doing, which mm-hmm. is philosophy based questioning. Right. Uh, uh, and do I want to try to write short jokes like say you know like a David Tell? David Tell is the greatest dick joke writer in the history of the world mm. you know 
is the man is drop dead funny. He's hilarious. There is no way I'm going to be able to do something that I don't I don't naturally do better than him. Right. Do you know what I'm Yeah. I'm the best at 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 what I do when I focus on what I'm good at. Mm-hmm. And then and then try to work on adding some things that I'm bad at. You know what I mean? Yeah. I'm never going to be able to compete with David Tell or anybody else for that matter at what I'm not good at. So why in the world would I change? So I, I mean, I clearly made it and I even knew it at the time. I even told my manager at the time, I'm not, I don't care about Conan and all these people. I'm going to just, I'm going to keep doing this long form philosophy kind of thing. And my manager told me, well, I love you, man, but, if, if I can't get you on TV, uh-huh. you know, then what are we doing? And he's still my friend. We still talk all the time. Not all the time, but you know, uh-huh. we, you know, I mean, we still talk. If I ever needed anything, I could pick up the phone and call him, and he would help me without hesitation. Mm. But he, he's no one's interested in this type of comedy right now. It's not, it's not cool. So, you know, but that and that decision made me happier with with myself and the business. Mm-hmm. You know, I mean, that was your question. It's like, yeah. You know, I will never, art, artistically, I'll die not being as good. If I lived six months longer than I'm going to, then I would be six months better than I will be when I die. You mm-hmm. know what I mean? Right. And and I love that about art. Once you get the job at Best Buy and you learn how to work the gun, price gun, mm-hmm. you, you just work that thing forever. Yep. <laughs> <laughs> That's it. You're done at Best Buy. You learned everything there is to know Best Buy. You know what I mean? Yeah, yeah. Yeah, I there's, know you can. There's no getting better there. <laughs> yeah, you can get better forever. At this, you know, <laughs> just like you know any art. But anyway, um, once I once I realized that um, I like this life. I just drove. Let's see. Last week I was in Indianapolis, Friday and Saturday, at a little a little kind of small theater, about a hundred seat theater, and 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 that was all based on I get paid if anybody comes to see me. Mm-hmm. Uh, so I did that Friday and Saturday. Um, I ran over to a buddy of mine's place in uh, um, in Ohio and did a show on Sunday. And then Tuesday I was in Fort Wayne, Indiana, mm-hmm. at a at a converted art space. Uh, Wednesday, wh- where was I? Wednesday I was in um, Lansing, Michigan, uh-huh. um, an old church that now some artist has taken over and sells his art and they have art classes and pottery and things like that in there. And they, they still have the pews and everything. So we did a comedy show on there Wednesday, mm-hmm. Thursday, Kalamazoo at Shakespeare's, which is an old mill that is they now have a stage in the basement, which is an awesome venue. Yeah. That's a cool uh, place. Friday, yeah. Friday I was in Traverse city, Michigan in the basement of another, it's a, they have a, um, a recording studio in there and uh and a stage for artists for like acoustic musicians and they do comedy there occasionally so Mm -hmm. i did that and then saturday i was in uh captain joe captain joe's in whitmore lake michigan it's just you know a bunch of dudes that you know they want to drink a beer and catch a fish yeah you know (laughs) and that's all it's not even that they don't it's not even really that they really hate you or like you they just won't catch a fish watch some michigan football Uh you know And um, what a great life. Yeah, that's that's really like I cool. I told you all that. Yeah. I mean, objectively, if I told my 15-year-old self, you just can drive all over Michigan and fingers crossed, if anybody comes, you're going to make a little money, you mm-hmm. know? And um, I would have been like, God, that's so cool. And what do you talk about when you're up there, you know? Like, well, you're, right now you're doing this weird crap about trying to convince people, <clears throat> you know, that Academic hillbillies would be a good idea. Uh-huh. <laughs> what? What? <laughs> it's really neat. So I made the choice that I don't want to, uh, you know, and a, a, a big problem that a lot of comics make is they say, well, I don't want to follow the rules. You know? mm-hmm. I'm, I'm going to make up my own rules. But then they expect to get the reward from showbiz. Right. If you're not going to follow the rules of showbiz, then you can't expect to have to get their reward. Right. You you have to create your own reward. You know, right. a lot of people want to create, they want to create their own rules, but they don't want to create their own rewards. That's the you know. So you know, I figured that out a while back. I'm going to have to create my own rewards, and that's exactly what I do, Scott. Mm-hmm. Like I, I I literally say I want to write a show about Constitution and the Bill of Rights and all this 
I don't know if I can do it. I honestly don't know because it doesn't sound funny to me. Mm-hmm. Um, so I guess I'm going to have to start reading and learning and listening and downloading and, and all that. So I did that. And then I thought, uh, you know what? I might be able to do it if I tied in with this idea about academic hillbilly. Let me <laughs> I don't know if I'm right. And then, you know, I start, start working on it. And my reward is, can I create 60 minutes of comedy, you know, about mm-hmm. this time? Right. You know, that's, that's what I'm shooting for. Not, you know, how many likes does my Netflix special get? <laughs> You know, it's not real to me. Right. This is this is night after night after night. I adjust. I rewrite. I, you know, I move things around. I'm, I'm I'm working on this quilt night after night after. Can I do it? Can I do it? And in the meantime, the years were slipping by, mm-hmm. <laughs> which is awesome. I hear that. Yeah. <laughs> And it's funny, it's funny, the, the folks who don't want to follow the rules, they, I, I don't think, uh, you know, I've been around a long time, I'm 55, and, and it seems like just about everything is derivative of something that has already been anyway. So by not following the rules, you're just doing something that maybe hasn't been done for a while. Yeah, I mean, I think there's something to be said for that. I mean, I, you know, I don't know especially comedically. Mm-hmm. I mean, when, like when Hedberg exploded and I loved Hedberg, mm-hmm. I thought he was fantastic, you know, but, um, you know, the, everybody was talking about that. He just redefined comedy and it, he, Henny Youngman did this shit long time ago. Yeah. One liner comics that, and I know they're different. I know Hedberg and Henny aren't the same, but the structure and the delivery is, is what we're talking about. Right. You know? Yeah. I mean, that was, pre-Lenny, mm-hmm. you know, pre-Lenny Bruce. I mean, he, Hedberg went back to an old style of comedy and merged it with a new hipster drug angle. Right. That was beautiful. I, I just thought it was gorgeous, especially yeah. live, you know? Oh, it was, yeah. Uh, yeah, but to say that he redefines it, you know, it's like I one time, I have to find it because it might be funny, but I used to keep this little little page in my notebook and I would I would write down every band that had, that anybody ever described as the only band that's worth mentioning. Uh-huh. <laughs> the list was huge. About eighty five. I had a list of about eighty five bands that critics would say this is the only band worth mentioning. Uh-huh. <laughs> you say that all the time. Like go to you know, how many movies are described as, you know, the the best of the summer? Mm. It's like, what, well, there's 27 best of the summer, but it's all crap. It's mm-hmm. all a bunch of, you know. I mean, I think the rules are always changing in show business, you know. Right. Of what they're, what they're looking for. They're always looking for something. They don't know what they, they don't know what it is, but they know it when they see it. Mm-hmm. So they can't tell you what they're looking for, but they can tell you why you're not it, mm-hmm. you know. So if you're going to try to figure out how to make them happy, then you're going to drive yourself Right. Because how can you please someone who doesn't know what they want? You know? Right. All you can do is go, just go to a show and let them see you. And if they want you, then they want you. And Mm -hmm. if they don't, then they don't. Right. And nothing you can do is going to change that. You know? Yeah. That's that. I mean, that's just the way it is. Uh, you you people are people and you're not gonna you're, you're not gonna move them unless they're willing to to listen and they're maybe a little bit on your side to begin with well it's like you know if you if you are uh, let's say you're casting a play mm-hmm. okay and you're like well i need a very tall african-american a skinny that's the that's the part is what this is so you are literally looking for a tall, skinny African American, uh, in hopefully in his thirties. Mm-hmm. That's the character that's been written. So you, in other words, you know what you're looking for. Well, then when someone comes in and uh, they're not tall, but they are, they, there's something about this person that reminds you of the character in the play, but they're not tall at all. Then all of a sudden, maybe you could envision the play being a little different than you thought it was. Mm-hmm. Now, it's not a tall character. Now, it's a short character. But, it's, but you, when you don't even know who, what it is you want, then nothing. Do you know what I mean? Right. Like, the people that run show business, these show, they don't know what they want. Mm-hmm. 
they don't know that they're looking for a tall, skinny African American in his thirties. They don't know these things. But when one comes, when somebody comes along and has charisma, then they go, "Oh yeah, that that that." that. Yeah, that's so, the one. That's the one, yeah. and that's what we've all been looking for. But we couldn't tell you that forever. Right. Right. No you doubt. Know, so in other words, you're trying to please a crazy system. Don't, you're never going to figure that system out. Mm. Hey, I've got uh, I've got a question for you that I I posed to uh, Tom Dreesen, and I wanted to get your opinion on it. I I um I did a show uh, a Thursday show a couple weeks ago, and I um I had a a headliner that uh, he's he's local, but we haven't interacted that much. But I think he's really good and funny, and we were talking a little bit after the show, and he brought up a concept that um that audiences now are so used to watching like Netflix specials and watching comics on YouTube that they don't really know how to act when they get into a live situation because they're just used to like snickering at the TV and they don't know what it's like, what, what infectious laughter is like and all that kind of stuff. Do you experience that at all? Uh, yeah. I mean, I, yes, I would, I would probably argue a little bit from the point of view of, did they ever know how to act? Mm -hmm. Was there a time in history that audiences knew how to act? I doubt it. I mean, (laughs) I think, you know, like uh, Harpo Marx biography, which is great, by Mm -hmm. the way, Harpo Speaks is what it's called. He's talking about uh, him and his brothers have, you know, they had a vaudeville act. They're going, they're traveling around this country on a train, you know, Mm -hmm. and, he describes the shows they used to do. And I'm like, I've done that gig. It's horrible. Uh-huh. <laughs> I mean, and that was in the 20s. I right. mean, they're talking, he's talking about being in Alabama, uh, doing crappy gigs in Alabama in 1920. Wow. You know, it's, next year's going to be 2020. We can go back and do a bunch of crappy gigs in Alabama if you want to. Mm-hmm. And that was 100 years ago. Yeah. I don't think there's ever been a time in human history when you can get more than one human being in a room that knows how to act. Uh-huh. <laughs> I mean, once you get two, one of them is looking at some boots. Yeah. You know what I mean? <laughs> yeah. Human being, it's just pathetic. I mean, what was it? Uh, the New York Philharmonic. This is like five years ago. New York Philharmonic had to stop playing because somebody answered a cell phone call. Uh-huh. I mean, you, this is just the symphony, you idiot. Right, yeah. You, you know, and not only, it, it's not like the phone just started ringing and then they went, oh God, and turned it off. Mm. This asshole answered his call while the <laughs> New York Philharmonic was going on. And I will, I'll bet a hundred bucks, and that is a large wager for me. I'll bet a hundred bucks that if you brought Mozart back to life, he mm-hmm. would go, there's dicks. All the crowds are dicks. They're all, they're, they're <laughs> They don't listen. They get drunk. (laughs) I don't think that it was perfect until Netflix hit, Mm -hmm. you know, but yeah, Netflix is not, has not done us any good. It's not done us any help at all, Yeah, but neither, neither did television. Television ruined show business. Mm -hmm. According according to the people that were in show business when television hit, it was awesome before television and it was horrible after. Right. And according to the people that were in show business, uh, it was perfect before radio and horrible after. Right. And as soon as talkies became a thing, then the whole world, you know, it just mm-hmm. goes on. And right. It seems, to be, it seems to me the more interesting way to put what Tom and you were talking and this headliner we're talking about is, God, don't human beings suck. Yeah. <laughs> Well, I can agree with the show business thing because, you know, before, before you had radio TV and all that, then you really, uh, your job was paid on your merit. So what, what, what you did was how successful you were. And that was all on the stage. And then when you bring sponsors into it and show business people and all that kind of stuff, it, it totally changes it. And then you have to change based on what they want. Are you, you're talking about, uh, like famous, right? Yeah. 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 I mean, the answer to all that for me, it's my, it's just my own personal answer is I don't want to be a part of it. I didn't want to be a part of college. And I didn't want to be a part of a cubicle and I don't want to be a part of Netflix or trending or 
just don't. I, I, I love the idea. It's such a beautiful idea in my head. Getting in my car, dead broke, driving in Nebraska, walking up in a lounge of a Best Western. Uh-huh. <laughs> let, let me ask you a question. Who in the hell says, honey, let's go out tonight? Perhaps the Best Western lounge is the destination. Yeah. <laughs> but and it always cracks me up when comics complain about the audience and they're in a Best Western lounge. Right. Who, in the, who do you expect to be here? <laughs> We're in the lounge of a Best Western, you idiot. I mean, you, you think all of a sudden Neil deGrasse Tyson's going to be here? Yeah. <laughs> Someone didn't get your science joke, and you're mad about it. Yeah. I mean, you know, Jesus, you know, and but it's so funny to me. I could get in my car and drive to Nebraska, walk up on stage, and disappoint 22 people in a Best Western lounge, and then someone hands me a hundred dollars, and then I, I, and then I go up to the hotel room, read a book, go to sleep, and get get up the next day and drive somewhere else and do it. Uh-huh. What a great way to live a life. Yeah, I mean, that... I, I can think of better ways, but mm. that's. A, not a bad one. Yeah, that that, that so, is good. You know, I wanted to. Um, so I I have to be honest, and I didn't know you had a podcast. Uh, so yeah. <laughs> I, I I started doing my research probably twenty minutes before I called you, and I see that you've got uh, Stuart Huff's obsessive curiosities. What's that all about? Um, well, the truth about it is, uh, uh, Ross Duncliffe, who's a good friend of mine, who owns a, a record label in Kentucky, uh, a comedy label, you know, mm-hmm. all comedian. And he had space and he had some, uh, a room that he wasn't using. So he thought, I'm going to make a studio, podcast studio. Mm-hmm. And he put some money into it. I got some good mics and everything. Um, and then he asked me, I didn't really, I'd never thought I'd do this, but he said, I'm opening, I'm going to make this podcast studio and I want you to make a podcast. You know? So I thought, all right, well, well, you know, and so I came up with the idea, which is I love junk. Uh-huh. I love weird, weird things. Um, you know, I'm standing in a room right now talking to you and looking around, and this room is full of beautiful things that nobody would, most people would not care at all about. Right. You and my grandma yeah. would get along so well. Yeah, it sounds like it. Yeah. And, so, and a lot of this stuff, um, uh, like here, here's a great example. This is just what I'm looking at on my wall right now. It's an old framed drawing. Paper's brown. It looks it's definitely stained in the bottom right corner. It's got water stains on it. And it is Alfred E. Newman, you know, the Mad yeah. Magazine. Mm-hmm. It, it, it's him. It's This is Alfred E. Newman. It, 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 but it, the draw, it's just a drawing. Um, and he, he's in a suit and tie. Mm-hmm. And it says on the bottom here, you will have no worries when you deal with us. D.E. Taylor and Company, Inc., West India Fruit and Steamship Company, huh. Norfolk, Virginia. <laughs> So I find that years and years ago, I find that in a junk shop. And I'm like, what is this? Like, this is definitely the Mad Magazine. Mm. But what is this Norfolk, Virginia, Indian Fruit Company? No worries if you ship with what is. So I bought it because it was cheap and uh, it looks neat. Mm. And I bought it and I bring it home and I research. Mad, Mag, this, this character, this Alfred E. Newman guy, was a tip. It was well known. And like, we're talking 1890s, 1920s. Wow. Yeah, lots. It was a, almost like a clip. What do they call it now? Clip art or something? Uh-huh. Yeah. Like, if you had a business, you were selling beans or in Ohio, and you wanted a funny-looking thing, then this was the caricature that you would use. And it was used by multiple businesses um, to represent the doofus. Mm-hmm. And the no worries is the is the caption that they all use. You'll have no worries. Like, because this guy, clearly, you're going to have worries, you know, with yeah. this. <laughs> I didn't know that. I didn't know that Mad Magazine did. I thought they just drew him. Like yeah, they I created thought, yeah, that's news to me. That's original. And and I. Uh, that's funny that his uh, uh, motto was what me worry. So they, they took all of it. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. They took all of it. Yeah. Yeah, yeah exactly. <laughs> and I thought, well, you know, I bought that years ago and probably for five bucks or something. Mm-hmm. And, uh. And then I learned something. That's neat. Yeah. And uh, my whole house is full of that. It's just over the years. You know, here's another one I'm looking at on the wall. And this one is a co- comedians are going to hopefully listen to this podcast uh, of yours, Scott, mm. right? That, that, that's here's, what I'm hoping. <laughs> yeah. Here's, let's make them jelly. Yeah. This is another 
this is another framed brooch. It's a, I guess you call it a brochure, I guess. Uh, at the top, it says KJO, as in, as in radio call it. K-J-O-E. Mm-hmm. Okay. KJO Tune Tips, week of September 7th, 1958. And then it lists the top 40 albums. You know, mm-hmm. uh, you got Tommy Edwards, there's the Everly Brothers, Elvis Presley, the Big Bopper, Buddy Holly. So it's got 40, and it's just an advertisement for a radio station, you know, saying, we, we, we play all the hits. <laughs> Uh-huh. On the right, on the right side of it, there are four heads. Um, like literally, it looks like someone took a photograph of these people and just cut out their heads and pasted them onto this thing. Mm-hmm. The top one says uh, Joe Monroe. The bottom, or the next one down is Vern Sternman, and then the third one down is a young George Carlin. Oh, <laughs> so uh, this is before George had been on stage. So George was in the Air Force. And he wanted to get into radio, and mm-hmm. he met that Joe Monroe guy. This is all in his biography. Mm-hmm. Uh, and he said, "Can I come down to your your thing and 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 work, like be a janitor or whatever?" And he worked his way up to being a DJ. But he had never at this at the point that this was out that George Carlin had never done stand up yet. Uh-huh. So, not found that in a, a desk drawer of an old desk in Louisiana. Oh wow. <laughs> So my house is full of this junk. So that's my podcast is I bring an object on and I don't tell my guests what it is. And I say, look at this. Uh, what do you think? And some of it is, is strange, like gross. Uh-huh. Some of it is funny. Some of it is, you know, just interesting. Some of it's historical. Some of it's philosophy. But, you know, I just get some people in the room and say, what do you think of this? Yeah. And sometimes they make fun of me for an hour about being a hoarder. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> And sometimes, you know, we, we talk about really interesting stuff. So, Well, it sounds great, and I'm going to put it on my list. I'm going to subscribe. And uh, you know, the problem is, is when you love so many podcasts, you just don't have enough time in the day to listen to all of them. So I, yeah. your, yours sounds like something I'd like just because, you know, I – I hung out with my grandma and helped them uh, set up for shows and stuff like that for years. So I got to hang out with the the antiquers, and uh, that's always had a place in my heart. So that sounds uh, neat. Yeah, well, that's I would love that career too. If someone said you would be a paleontologist assistant, I would take that. I would. If someone said you can open up a shop and an antique shop, I would do that. I'd quit comedy and do antique. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Yeah, that's I. You guys would get along so well because uh, you know when I talk to my grandma, I'd say, you know, what, wh- what's your dream? What would you like to do? And she's, I just want to go on a dig. I, I want to go where they're they're <laughs> they're unearthing a city or a dinosaur or something like that. She said, I would love to do that. And that oh, that's awesome. yeah, yeah, I would love that. Well, Stuart, I you know I really appreciate you being on the show. This has been uh, very enlightening for me, and and hopefully the listeners will get something out of it. Okay, yeah, well, it's been fun, and and I uh, yeah, I I was definitely very rambly and um, you know long winded today, but maybe that's good for a podcast. Who knows? I, I I think it is. You know, you you kept me glued to the microphone, so hopefully it'll keep people glued to the to the podcast. So I really appreciate <laughs> it. Well, thank you so much. I appreciate it, Scott. Yeah, thanks for being on. And uh, make sure everybody to check out Stuart Huff's Obsessive Curiosities podcast, because I'm going to. Sounds really cool. (laughs) Yeah, thank you very much.